So I have students who did their final big senior recital certificate program here, went on to different schools, finished their master's degree and they're back teaching here with me. And it's just the best. So they are like, I'm their mom and their colleague and their boss at the same time. A few weeks ago, we had Vera on the podcast. And if you didn't catch that episode, that was episode 93. And in that episode, we did our five for five. Vera talked about Aurora Music School, the school she's built in the outskirts of Cleveland, has over a thousand students. And we wanted to have Vera back on the podcast today because in preparation for that episode, Vera said something very interesting. She said that Aurora Music School has discovered how to build a self-feeding positive environment so that, that teachers, staff, and parents want to be part of the school for, in some cases, 20 years and beyond. Mm. So naturally, Nate and I were really intrigued about that. And there's a lot of cool things that are going on at Aurora, to be quite honest. I mean, go back and listen to this previous episode. There's some really cool things happening there. We had almost an embarrassment of riches. We had to decide which topic we wanted to focus on, but we decided to probe this idea because I think there's gold here for listeners who want to build a culture in their school where both teachers and students want to stay with the school for the long term. So we're going to dig into that today. So Vera, I wanted to start by asking you a question. What do you mean by a self-feeding positive environment? That's kind of a, a, a $36 college term, it almost sounds like. Can you unpack that for us? What is that, a self-feeding positive environment? Wow. $36 college term. I love it. I want to <laughs> what it is, is that, um, you make, you make someone happy. So if you make your teachers happy, your students happy that, you know, their grandparents happy, their uncles happy, their little kids happy, their siblings happy, their baby sisters happy, and your office staff is happy and every, then it's just a circle of positive that just feeds itself. So, you know, there's obviously all the details about that, but I'd love to go into it. But, yes. um, for example, just a simple thing, when I interview someone and they come into the building, they're welcomed. And, if you know, I, a lot of times I interview, by the time I interview them in person, it's going to be like, you're the one. I just want to make sure you have an eye and, and eyes and everything. So, uh, I bring in teachers in the same field welcoming them, connecting right away. Where did you study? I studied here. So great to see you. So great to have you part of our team. We also have someone who is an onboarding buddy in my, we call it onboarding buddy of my uh, teacher team, who is really great at admin and teacher and helping them how to use our app. Because, you know, I, I, sw I think I mentioned to you guys in my little crisis last year when uh, my entire software completely mm. crashed. Do you remember that? Yes, mm. I do. Just, you know, no problem. And your entire operation <laughs> system crashes, you know, yeah. you're up all night. I think you've seen me with like eyes like this and I would never just hurt, you know? So, you know, she does that. Um, I train teachers and that way they're completely having a rooted understanding of the mission of the school. I try to make sure they understand the deep level of appreciation of human beings that they're going to de deal with mm. and not just the method, not just how they teach, but how they uh, profile 
students and parents and how they meet them at their le level of needs, always. Yeah. And a lot of teachers come in thinking that, you know, I teach this way. This is how I've been doing it for the last five years, six years. This is how it works. That's awesome. They're bringing their knowledge and their background. Sometimes they have degrees from different countries, which is really wonderful. But they need to learn the culture of your environment, the culture of your school, the culture of the exact location you are. It's different to teach music in Puerto Rico than Aurora, Aurora Ohio. Oh, it's yeah. just different. So I have a follow-up question to that. But first, I mean, such a great answer. And what I think we want to dig into, because in the five for five, we got these big picture ideas. And what I think we want to do in this episode is dig a little bit more into the logistics and how you're actually pulling that off. So you've created this environment where seemingly everyone's happy to be there. And so there's this positivity that's just radiating from the staff, from the admin, from the teachers. It reflects into, and you get that reflected back from the, the students and the parents. How, how do you begin to build an environment like that? Take okay. us down to what you think the foundation Exactly, exactly. Is. So very good, Daniel. Very, I think I have to go back to the bottom in the beginning. Mm. I mean, I'm 46 year old. I'm very honest to share that with your audience. <laughs> and um, <laughs> as a lady, you know, and I was uh, 26 when I opened my um, school. But before that, I was a piano teacher at my own house, right? It's very yep. typical story. We hear this all the time, very inspiring how, you know, young, young musicians start out in their home and they build, build a school, right? But one thing I've done that I think most people were not willing to, and I think it's important that you do something that maybe other people are not willing to, is put on recitals every three months and not every six months and not once a year. Every 12 weeks, my students are on stage. In between, if we have extra gigs and extra opportunity to serve a community, go to a nursing home, go to a farmer's market, go to a grand opening, go to a wedding, whatever it is you, you do with your students, great. But the minimum cycle is every 12 weeks. I think it's a really good rhythm because you can start a new project, finish it, perfect it, and show what you've been working on stage. Not just every three months, but I made a recital format that is very unique. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is I think a lot of times when parents think about, oh my gosh, I'm going to take my kid to recital. It's going to be the most boring thing. You know, and then they, they have one after another kid. Uh -huh. Thank you. Next. I mean, it's nothing like this. First of all, you got parents and children full because we do not have a set program. You only have the student's name, the teacher and instrument. The audience has to guess what they just heard. Whether they know the composer, the piece, or the character, or anything about it, I'm doing a complete interactive show. I call it a show because it's no longer a recital. A show with the audience. So that little sibling who is three-year-old can put their hands up. That was Mary had a little lamb. And they get a magic pencil. Woo! And a magic pencil <laughs> changes colors in your hand. Do you think that three-year-old is going to be, cannot wait to come to the next recital? Okay. Mm -hmm. 
So the audience have the chance to be participating, put their hands up. And the best thing about it is the performer who just came off stage is going to be giving the magic pencils to their fans, their new friends they just met in the audience. Connection, total connection to your audience. The other thing is, once the kids are taking their bow and they did great, first of all, I don't introduce them like this. The next person is Leo Boroke. The next person is Leo. And the whole audience already screams because they're taking all my energy, right? They're done with their performance. And instead of them thinking, oh my gosh, I messed up the A flat and the basil. There is this magic cup flying towards them from me. It's a color changing cup. Aurora School Music. You know, has our mission and phone number and everything. But the most important thing is changes colors with your drinks. <gasps> so, and you can collect it in your kitchen. It never goes back. And it's basically your resume. How many cups you had, right? Mm. There's a special cookie that's a homemade cookie from one of our parents who runs her own business. It's phenomenal cookie. You got the magic pencils. And you have a juice box and you have stickers. I mean, dude, it's like better than a birthday party. <laughs> So these kids want their magic pencil and the magic cup. You can only get it if you're a performer. Mm. You cannot buy it. It's something very special. And I emphasize it. You can only buy magic cups. I mean, you can only earn magic cups, right? Yeah. Mm. So, and then they go back to the audience and they're just so thrilled. So to put together a show like this, it, it takes a lot of, you know, I have now a backstage manager who's putting it together. And then at the end of the concert, we not only have a teacher feature, so they hear one of our faculty who is like a world-class performer. Wow. Or me, if there's no, because we have 14 shows a weekend. So that's what I'm telling you. Like most people right, right now with my school is 14. But when I had my private studio, it was 60 kids. Then it grew into two recitals, then three recitals, then four recitals, then five. And that's why I'm going to get into the concert hall in a minute because, you know, we obviously hit a problem with all these um, events growing. But um, I do have an award recognition, which is the most improved student award. So every teacher nominates based on their studio size, one, two or three students who have made the most progress. Either their attitude has changed. They were cranky, manky coming to lessons, and now they're like, ooh, this is exciting. They turned them around. There's some kind of positive change. They started practicing. They're excited to come to lesson. Or someone is just taken off in their work ethic. Someone just started being mm. persistent, consistent, right? All these. So we start with the T-shirt. They get an Aurora School Music T-shirt with an outstanding music student in the back. They know you can never purchase that. You can only earn it. So they're like so excited. What I'm hearing you saying when you say self-feeding, right? We're talking about a self-feeding positive environment. Um, obviously, awards as a validation is like huge for you, Vera, right? Because you just gave, I think you gave like six different examples of awards. No, eight mm -hmm. different examples. But am I correct when, you, when we say self-feeding, you're... Like the teacher is one of the, the teacher is the one who's nominating and giving a t-shirt. Is that what you mean by self-feeding? The student is the one who's handing out the magic pencil 
Where's the self-feeding part of this? The se- I think what it is is that, you know, these, the, the parents and the students are so happy and they're so motivated that when, so that we don't have, how do I say, what, what Daniel described in one of the awesome write-ups is, you know, they're dragging their feet. There's no practicing, but you have to make them happy. Mm. You can't tell them, sorry, you got to practice or else this doesn't make sense because they want to keep the retention. The, the parents are so addicted to the program of these recitals, you know, yeah. that if the teacher says, hey, listen, it's time for you to get a piano now, no more keyboard. Great. How do we do it? You know, mm. or, you know, it's time for more longer lesson because we can't fit the material in your child is so advanced okay great let me wear you know so it just works is the the positive just works you don't have to i think that the word was really good the nagging nagging your teachers nagging your parents nagging you know i mean you don't have these conferences Every month, well, well, you know, you're enrolled for piano, and you have to have a piano yeah. or some kind of a keyboard, you know, piano, piano, you know. So none <laughs> of that, none, none of that. Um, it, so it's just there's such a wonderful, positive working relationship with your students, parents and teachers that there's an understanding and respect and they just want to do it because it's so fun and so positive and just want to be part of it. Right. Mm. So if, if you don't mind me explaining this award system, can I finish that up a little bit? Yeah. Is that okay? Oh yeah. Cause totally. I think it's, it's, it's so cool. So when someone gets an award here at the Aurora school music and they are recognized in front of 180 people in the hall, they have to promise that they are ready to double their practicing. Mm. So it's not an ending point. It's a starting point of a new life and new, a new vision, right? It's a public promise. Like they, they it's literally- a public promise. Mm, now, a lot of these kids who come and get a t-shirt first time, they're doing 10, 15 minutes, 20. Eh? So it's easy to double. It's not a big deal. And sometimes we even discuss, do you like to do the scale? Oh, you don't like to do the scale on ar- arpeggios as much? Now you're going to have to do scales and arpeggios because you're a t-shirt girl and a t-shirt dude. What do you say? Yes. Woo! Everybody, you know, it's like getting them into the next level of vision, right? So then if, if we pace it out like pretty well per year minimum, and then they get the toad back, the next one, the toad back. Mm. Again, getting to the next vision of practicing and the next vision of uh, participation and the next vision of maybe a relationship with a teacher. How do, you know, all that stuff. So, and then you have sweatshirt and toe bag and windbreaker jacket, man. You can wear awesome <laughs> stuff. And the highest level, number six, is pajama pants. Flannel pajama <laughs> pants, man. Everybody wants to get there. This is their dream. Miss Sarah, for my recital, for my senior recital, can I have a pajama pants, please? Yeah. So these are another layer of motivation because the kids are like, I'm going to get the toe bag. I'm going for my toe bag. I'm going for my toe bag, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're just so excited. And I think it's not just what they get, obviously, how edified the moment is, Right. They're on stage, called back after everyone's playing, 
and they're by themselves standing on stage and interviewed and just totally celebrated. So that's that's what I want meant to say. So I think that now would be a good time for those who are listening. If you're not watching on YouTube, for those listening, you can hear that Vera's in a big room. I think you can tell just by the audio. So I would maybe recommend for those who are listening, uh, come over to YouTube and look at the video because Vera, what I want you to do right now is maybe just move the camera so we can actually see the recital hall. She's sitting in a yes, recital so hall. So I stage. am standing, this is the stage and then look, you see that there's oh, a balcony yeah. and this, these windows have shades and you can make it completely a dark Mm. You know, audience room. And then here I am on stage. And now I'm going to turn it around. Here's the backstage with the curtain. It's a little messy, but you guys can see that. This is really cool. Yeah. Every kid is learning about, let's hope I'm not dropping this. About, <laughs> whoa. Love it. The red bench where we are sitting right before. Here's the backstage harpsichord there. And then here's our, here's our stage. Can you see this? Mm. Yeah. Yes. Looks amazing. Love yeah. it. So what I want to kind of highlight from this is that, uh, you know, the idea of creating an experience, you know, and, and, and I, and I, as people watch or listen, you can, you can see this enormous recital hall. Obviously a lot of thought and care has been put into this you're hearing the culmination of 20 years of creativity and ideas that have led to a program that is world-class where people commute 90 minutes to come to this school. But I want to point out that what Vera said was that she started out in her home with 60 students mm -hmm. and still had the basic version of this program that has expanded over the years to the point where, and I don't say this lightly, but there are books on there about how, you know, Disney has this world-class customer service. They're creating experience. It's all a show. I would compare Aurora's program to that, but it, it, it didn't wow. start in this, in this final form. It, it got here over time. And so for yes. those listening, I would just say, what's important to you. And this goes back to episodes one, two, and three that Nate and I said at the very beginning, you have to discover what your thing is. And clearly for Vera, the fact that she built this amazing recital hall is the fact that she's building a performance-based school. Not every school is going to do this. The secret to retention isn't to try to recreate or make your version of what Vera did. It's to get in touch with who you are as a person and build Absolutely. a program that will create an experience for the people in your community, not to look at this as, oh, here's the tactic to get your students to stay for 10, 15 years, your staff to stay for 20 years. It's to get in touch with who you are. And so... Absolutely. Yeah, so Vera, I maybe have a follow-up question. And Nate, I'm sure you've got a ton as well. But Vera, could you take us inside what a lesson looks like at Aurora Music School? How are you getting kids to... To, to show this level of excitement, what are you doing to prepare them for this uh, performance environment, for this performance culture? Wow, that's a great, great question. And then I definitely get into the concert hall funny story, you know, also sure. as well. Um, so right now, currently, if you're coming in to learn piano, uh, you will see Miss Vera first. And I assess mm -hmm. the student. And I introduced them to cat, doggy, elephant, froggy, giraffe, alligator, and bunny. They're the C, D, E, F, G, A, B. 
even if they're seven, eight, nine, ten years old, they're gonna love it because it's a whole system how to localize the the keys versus you know linearly and have their ear trained and it's an enchanted vocabulary and it's just, mm. it's awesome. But immediately they're gonna feel that piano is the easiest thing. I love it because Miss Fairy is so fun and she's showing me tricks that I knew all my life. I just never did. So that is the atmosphere of the introduction. And then I, because right now we have 10 piano teachers in the department, including me, I really take the ones that are maybe not classroom ready yet. So I have to put them on a system either because of behavior challenging, maybe neurologically they're different or there is some kind of background that doesn't allow them to, to sit on the bench. They're bouncing around like little rabbits, you know, those are my favorite students. And the rest of them, I can just, you know, make sure if it's pop, jazz or what their personalities, what I'm amazing at right now after all these years is profiling people. You know, I understand how their brain works. What is their, what is their niche? What triggers them to be excited? What's their motivation point? Are they more visual? Are they relationship based? Are they more, et cetera. And then everywhere they go, whether it's a flute class, a bassoon class, a guitar class or all that, the kids who come through the door, it's a culture that they learn. I, are you interested in music lessons? That's amazing. You're already awesome. High five. You got awarded already just for being amazing. Just like little kids, they come to the Aurora School Music, they sit in the waiting room. I squat them to their level and said, did you bring all five fingers? Let's check it out. One, two, three. You brought all your five fingers. You're already amazing. That's it. You're in, you know? So I think making them feel extremely elevated and happy for being there. Now, what is the psychology behind? If you make someone feel amazing about themselves, their happy neurons starts firing in their brain and their learning ability opens up way more. And this has been so much science on that, right? It's called the sweet spot. It's, it's just, we know that from so many background research and and, and it's just, it's really a teaching technique. It's not an evaluation. I keep explaining to some of my teachers who are like, why do I have to say they're awesome? They're not awesome. I'm like, because it's not an evaluation. It's a teaching technique. So, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, and then um, obviously I do help teachers with the lesson flow on how to interrupt someone, how to build how to introduce a new concept, what is the psychology of it, everything, right? So that their relationship building with a student is flawless and then the parents, right? How to, how to have the parents get excited and I have all kinds of charts to make them all positive and support each other. And then when is it time when to communicate with me? How many weeks are you allowed to wait until you communicate with me? But, um, my method has definitely brought a lot of people because the teachers love it so much. They want to be part of it. And then uh, the method is so approachable, so easy. For, I mean, we start them at three. Eight, they are in diapers. Just want to let you know, my favorite pianist is a diaper pianist. They wear the diapers and they play two hands, twinkle, twinkle. One is the drum because the drum, <laughs> CG, ostinato, and then ear training, twinkle, twinkle. So, um, 
obviously it's just such an exciting program that they're they're willing to come and they recommend it to their friends and it's just an awesome thing uh, Vera, you you said a number of things that, that you kind of skirted over a number of points there that are essential for our listeners to hear more specifics on. First of all, you said there are charts for everything. So just make it just like really straightforward and simple for our listeners. You show up and you do an evaluation for a, the, every student that comes in. Mm-hmm. That's true across all the instruments. So you're showing up like, 10, 20 times a week to do evaluations, or is it only within the piano department? Only the, within a t- piano the department could be 10 to 20 a week, yes, just piano. And so, so you literally, you personally are showing up for that opening sesh, but you're focused just on piano. I want our listeners to be really clear that they're not supposed to show up to like 60 lessons or 40 new lessons a week or month, right? You're saying specifically no. and a lot of times it's easy to do as a family, and a lot of times, so... I'm sure you agree that the piano is one of the instruments that parents just decide to put their children in without much discussion. So that's when I get into the relationship with the kids and, oh, here's a drummer. We're going to enroll this child to drum. Oh, Oh, did you want to do viola? No, 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 mom, no piano. He likes the viola. So I am basically actually kind of redirecting yes redirecting the vision of the parents so that they understand that we have to ride on that interest first there's no such thing of the old fairy tale that you have to start with piano because if you don't start with piano that's not the right you know not at all so a lot of students who come with me for evaluation they end up in a percussion studio and they also end up in different uh, teachers' studios because they are listened to, and I understand that that's not really what they want to do. Piano is something else. So, okay, so what I hear you saying is like, here's one of your native genius. You're, you want every family to enter Aurora and first come in contact with you because that's a really essential and culturing moment. But also they come in contact with you because you use the term profiling. You're so good at that that you can then direct towards the right teacher or the right environment. So I have two other specific questions. One, you said yes. some but who are l- not... Let's make sure that, you know, th- this is only just the parents who intend for piano and end up somewhere. Oh, God. I okay. can't, I can't, because at this level, when you have this many students and a turnover and coming in and blah, 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 it's con- I want you to imagine 35 trials a week. Yeah, yeah, Impossible. Totes. Yeah, you couldn't be in, th- you couldn't, that yeah, would be yeah. too much to ask of a founder. Exactly. Um, so obviously, voice students meet the voice, but we already, you know, train our our staff. The voice applications are very specific. Is it musical theater, pop, or you know, more like classical? And then the guitar, and then we have the tr- the trumpet. It's so specific. You have one teacher, right? right? So, so just to, I want to be super helpful for our listeners here around this profiling idea and around what you're specifically doing to train your teachers. Uh, your trumpet teacher, your voice teacher, how do they, how, what kind of training are you putting them through so that they, that student who comes in for the first lesson is going to have the same experience that they get with you? So that that enculturing piece, that assessment and the redirection, obviously a trumpet student might come in and you want to redirect them to piano because it was a poor choice once they profile, once the teacher profiled. So how are you training your teachers to profile? How are you training your teachers to enculture in the first lesson? Like 
what's the specific training that you do with them just so our listeners can benefit in that way? I mean, in a broad, broad way, being available and able to communicate all the time because a little bit of frustration is very easy to feel for any teacher in the room. Oh, okay, this mm. kid is, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not understanding him. Vera, what do I do? You know, you have to have that open communication. Mm. When, when a teacher comes on board with me, I do have like a contract meeting and a two hour meeting, at least when we go through how things operate and I explain the vision for the school. I, this is with someone who's, let's say, a trumpet teacher. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then what is the atmosphere? How do we solve problems? What is my role in their life here? When do they need to talk to me? What are the, what are the red flags? And I go through the red flags that they need to discuss with me and not keep it inside and think it's their responsibility to solve. Give us a A couple examples. Red flag, two real quick red flag examples for our listeners. Real, real, the, the, the kid is 10 years old, keeps coming to trumpet lesson without the music. Red flag number one. Red Love flag, it. yeah. Talk to me. We have to reach out to the parent, get a conference, make them understand. Uh, the biggest thing in, in uh, studios with older kids is the parent communication, right? Um, the, the kid is, uh, for example, not, not paying attention. They're, you know, they're not, you know, there's, there's some listening issues and some communication issues. Then I come in and observe the lesson and see what kind of, um, you know, tips I can give or what can we do to make it better. But in, mm-hmm. with the piano department, I spend weeks with them because of my method. It's a completely different thing. So when you come on as a piano teacher at the Aurora School of Music, it's a nightmare for two weeks and then you're very happy. <laughs> you spend, spend like 80 to 90 hours with me. I want to I want to briefly ask a question here. Do you feel like you are looking for a special person that can fit into Aurora or do you feel that you can take an average teacher and turn them into someone that exemplifies the culture and the attitude that you're trying to exhibit in Aurora? Oh my gosh, that's a genius question because this is everyone's exact dilemma, right? how much value is in the training versus the outside experience that they're bringing, right? Mm -hmm. How much value is in the experience at ASM? So um, a little bit, it depends. I'm going to be very specific. When it comes to piano, I have built from a completely average person, not just an amazing teacher, but a great pianist. I work with my piano teachers to build on their performance and technique as well. So that, you know, they're very confident and being an amazing accompanist and being a solo artist, whatever they want to do. I have rehabilitated a lot of injuries as well. Hmm. I mean, some of my stuff is injury rebuilt or, you know, like rehabilitation of hands and stuff like that. So when it comes to the piano, I'm an expert on it. So it's easy, right? Mm. But I don't play the violin. I don't know how, you know, I mean, I know the Suzuki method very well and how it's done, but whoa. I mean, you don't want to hear me play the violin. So there you go. So when it comes to the violinist, I hear, I understand different techniques, different schools, different approaches. They need to be already a perfectly built specific person I'm looking for with a specific training, sometimes even with a specific trainer in the area that I know. Because, you know, I have a connection with someone who trains the best 
pedagogy and violin and viola and cello. And this is where I get my teachers from. And so when it comes to other instruments, it's different when, when you have your own field of expertise. That's where you can mold the most. Those other department heads, do you feel that they, do you feel that, that they um, have that same attitude, that same cheerfulness, that same uh, positivity that you, that you yes. exhibit so well? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, that's kind of ha- that you, you must have that, you know? Yeah. But is it, every time we think change teachers, this is what I say to the kids. So after Miss Michaela, who's leaving, who's so fantastic, so fun and so amazing, do you think you're going to have a boring and mean teacher or a super amazing and super fun? So mm, it has, they have to have a great ability to connect, cheerful disposition, able to communicate well, loving what they do. And I think that's what I profile really well when you come an interview is that teachers here, this is not a job. It's, it's, it's a passion. They must love what they do. And so when we interact in our kit, we have a kitchen where we hang out and we have a table there and everything. We talk all the time. Oh my gosh, you should hear this kid was so fantastic. And so it's, it's, we are constantly, constantly talking about our, our our students and what to do better and what do you think of this and ideas exchanged all the time because what is the mm. biggest the biggest scare for a studio owner or anybody who's a principal of a school because as a studio owner for a music school you're a principal right is complacency yeah. complacency is the work in any field actually that's kind of like the nightmare how do so you want to you want to make sure that that doesn't happen and i think that's why i have to be if i'm if i'm this much energy if, even if they have this much is already great so that's why i'm shooting for always the top motivator and if the next one is 25 percent, it's still fantastic vera i just wrote down in my book oh well, you know i'm just always taking notes on what you're saying and i just coined the term the vera kitchen so I'm going to challenge all of our listeners that have schools, what's going to be your Vera kitchen? Where are you <laughs> going to congregate with your teachers and, and, and ideate? Like just how, where are you going to go meet and talk about students together? Like create the Vera kitchen in your own program. It doesn't have to be a kitchen, obviously. It can be anything. It could be beers Friday night. Anybody want to come hang out and we'll talk about students um, That's I just, right. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, they already know I do a really mean chicken paprikash, so people <laughs> love that, you know. And yeah. and, and so, uh, honestly, everybody has different styles. I don't know what it is with me. Maybe it's because I'm Hungarian, but I just love food. We just love food here. <laughs> so every meeting, okay, what do we want? Sandwiches? Which place are you gonna order from? You know? Yeah. And just. You know, we, we just hang and eat. Uh, I, there's no meeting without food. I don't know how to do it, man. Vera, can I ask before we, I want to pop back to Daniel, but can I ask, rewind tape and just get specifics on one of your comments from like five minutes ago? You sure. said, as part of your onboarding with new teachers, you say, this is how many weeks until you come to me for help. Can you get really specific on what that is? Like, so yes. they know that you said in a, uh, in one moment, you said you're always available. You got to keep those lines of communication open. But then in another moment, you said, actually, don't come to me for this many weeks because oh, I no, know no, no. that there's... Uh, or- I, what it is, is 
Don't wait. That's uh, the minute. By then, you have to come to me. If you wait too it. long, it's a problem. Yeah. Love Sorry it. about that. Don't wait yes, more yes, yes, than yes, this yes. many weeks before you come to me, which is a really great specific tip because I think oftentimes, um, like I can, t I know from you because we know one another well that you're a force, right? And so you can also be intimidating, right? It's like, do I go to Vera with a question because she's just so, she knows so much and she's so forceful, like maybe I should just figure this out. And you're saying, no, 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 no. Just because exactly. I'm high impact doesn't mean I'm unapproachable. Yeah, if someone is asking me questions every week, I love it. This right. is, you know, so here's, here's a chart. You wanted to ask me about the chart, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just want to know There's what a really it actually cool one. I mean, I wish I, I brought it here, but it's, I think it's every studio owner's challenge. It's such a great thing. The goal is to have a positive wanting to learn kid with a positive support parent. Mm -hmm. cool. And yeah. that's the goal of every lesson that you have a, a, a student who's really excited about learning but you don't have a parent who is like, yes, on their phone, and yeah, uh, when do I have our lesson next lesson next time? Okay, see you later. You want a parent who's completely involved, wants to know the new homework, what's going on, a new new new, you know, excited. Oh my gosh, son, that sounded amazing. Woo! Just the same. This is optimal ideal because when that relationship is growing together with a child and a parent, they're still going to have a great relationship at 12 and 13 and 14, and that's the most likely to stay with you long-term. Mm. But you have situations that are very different. A child wants to be playing very excited, and a parent is doubtful that their kid can do this. So they come in with the, let's see if you can do this, buddy. Right. You know? So that's the, I call it, positive student negative parent how do you turn the parent mm. into a positive constantly reinforcing the parent how amazing this child is and how what how challenging the task is and look the kid did it and how fantastic this is going for very easy right how do you turn around a parent who's very excited about music education but their kid is like I don't want to do any music. Mm, and they are parent, sitting negative there. Negative student. <laughs> negative student, positive parent. Right. Incentives for students. So easy. Mm. You know, if they're very little kid, you can do the ABA. You do one finger pattern. Here's your M&Ms. Which M&Ms do you want? Yellow or red for very little kids. Or, you know, all kinds of incentive programs that you can do. Different motivation techniques. And to get a kid excited about music takes two minutes. Parent is much longer. Right. Now, what if you have two <laughs> negatives? That can happen sometimes. That's where a teacher cannot wait to talk to me too long because you will lose it. Mm. Very typical. The grandparents are motivated to put their kids in lessons and the parents are not that eager to dig them. And the kid is just like, whatever, I'm doing piano lesson. I'm not excited. One, yeah. wrong placement in instruments. It's very, very, it's very much possible. They don't like drums because the grandpa wants drum lessons. They wanted to sing, but the grandpa thinks singing is silly, you know? So then I have to find it out. Or 
how to motivate both parents, get them into higher care, positive. You have to change that into positive. If that positive change doesn't happen from two negatives, within three weeks, they're done. You lost them. Mm. So you have a three to four week period where you can switch it around. Yes. That's fascinating, Vera, because I don't think in all our apps we've ever had someone be that specific in terms of the onboarding and how crucial it is, both from a from a sort of administrative founder standpoint and also from a teacher standpoint. Um, that's, yeah, three to four weeks. I think that's, how, that's brilliant. Yeah, Daniel. How did, you, how did you come up with that wisdom, Vera? What, what made you realize that that was true? I don't know. Uh, so, um, 20 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, when I did the teacher training with a, when a parents segment comes up, right. Mm. So when I do a teacher training for Vera method, that takes like two, three weeks. So we cover, uh, how, how to be, how to teach the parents, the mommy, daddy time. What are the attitudes that we observe? You know, what is the body language of engagement and non-engagement? And then, you know, eventually I came up with this chart. But one mm. one other thing we do in a school, this is brand new, by the way. It's so cool. I'm super proud of. Is parent-student-teacher communication is key, right? Every time you lose a st- to student, most likely there's something going on with communication, right? Yep, yep. So I have, we don't do formal evaluation for parents, none of, you know, like not academic stuff, grading, none of that. So, I mean, just just making sure that if someone is listening and they're into the grading and all that stuff, that's, that's not what we are doing. But we evaluate on a scale of five, one, two, three, four, five, the intensity of that child's relationship Mm. to their instrument study. So watch number one genius potential to go to Juilliard Broadway whatever they want to do with music okay so they are like that in that means that the parents and the teachers communication has to be the most intense the next audition the next gig the next challenge the next competition the next ev- opportunities way beyond the Aurora School of Music competitions and all that so that's mm. number one number two Someone who has great talent and they have the potential to eventually audition for university either as a primary or a secondary instrument, right? So you can be a biology and piano major. Mm-hmm. Cool. So they are just very diligent, extremely interested, and wonderful student. Number three, they come, woohoo, they have a great time. They tell about their holidays, they love their little homework. They're cuties. They're they're just perfect students. A very lovely, very lovely experience. Mm. Four, sweaty lessons. We Mm. call them the sweaty lessons. When (laughs) you are really challenged for, you know, redirection, behavior modification. You got to have different tricks for attention. How to settle the child and make them focus. That's number four. So every student in their profile, when you look at them in our computer, they have this number attached. So if someone needs to reschedule something that's a number one student, please pay attention to get them in, right? Their priority to get them makeup because they're going to be 
preparing for something really pressing audition you know they're always oh, i mean we have musical theater kids who are already like you know selected with broadway you know um casters and stuff like crazy stuff you know mm-hmm. so uh and then number five is what i described get them out of my face i can't take it anymore mm, that's when they Which come is- to you asap Yes, five. Help me, God. What do I do? That's it. So, so the the five doesn't, you know, obviously be, be take them out or you know, thing. There's a, you know, sometimes it's family circumstances and all kinds of stuff can happen in there. But um, you know, that could be a totally separate episode for me to profiling th- families and what to do with them. You made a comment in the previous app around you know, one of Daniel's native geniuses, which is just seeing things. I think you said like three-dimensional organizational yes. superpower that Daniel has. Um, and I want to just highlight something here. You just described like an immaculate system for student and family profiling. That's precisely what you just in the previous episode said you don't have. But here you're giving this brilliant example. We've never heard in 90, pl- I don't even know what episode we're on, but we in nearly 100. Yeah, 93 <laughs> 97, episodes. 97, my fault. 97 eps. Vera, this level of precision in a student family profiling system. So let me just, just can I just like um, correct your comment from the last ep? I think you're absolutely a systemizer when it's within your sphere of specific interest. Thank you. Thank you. Know, you. So just saying, like, for our listeners, if you feel like Vera, or sometimes I feel this way, where I'm like, I really want to be hyper-organized and systemized in every facet of my business, um, and you're questioning that, I think this gets back to, Daniel, your comment um, last app with Vera, which is, like, when you really get to know who you are and what value you're going to bring to your school, that's probably where you first focus on systemizing your business. Right. Focus on systemizing in your specific area of interest. And from there, we might grow a little more confident. Right, Vera? We might be like, hey, wait, we can systemize well enough to do, for example, what you've done, which is literally build a concert hall within your within your space. (laughs) So, you know, there's so many different places we could take this. and, And Vera, what I think this is, we just need to have you back on at some point in the near future. I think the question. Um that most interests me at this point, thinking back to the idea of the episode, how do you retain students? How do you retain staff? Um, I, I think the, the big picture summary that I'm seeing here is just that you've created an experience, kind of like what I said earlier in the episode. I, mean, I don't know how you're going to answer this question, but at what point in your journey did you start pushing off some of these tasks to the admin, um, to to the other managers in the school. At, at, at what point? I think this is just an entry level question. At, w- at what point did you start doing that? Um, how did you know it was time? I don't think anyone knows it's time. It's just like you have no choice. You know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now I think things happen. It's, I want to tell you that uh, when, for example, when I built the concert hall. My staff didn't have a choice, but you have to take on way more because I had to be in meetings on designing the hall. 
I have to be in meetings all the time, figuring things out. And I was pregnant with two twins. You know what I mean? Not two, one twins, one pair of twins, right? <laughs> pair of twins. So, you know, uh, in, in, in a lot of times it's just when and how, you know, I mean, I, I, you would have a plan for it. I don't have a plan for it. I'm not a planner like Daniel is. It's just, I don't mm. know how to do that. That's why I want your brain. I think I would be like so much happier to be than your brain. But what happens is that, again, as I mentioned, who's coming in your life? So I had many managers before who were very capable. And then uh, because of that, I was able to jump into something like creating a concert hall. But if you wanted to know the concert hall story, it's really amazing because it just shows that sometimes it's good to be a little dumb. You know, I know it's a mm. shocking statement to say, but if you know everything, what it takes, how much steps, what's the planning and what energy is going to take out of mm. you, you would say no, no way in this world I'm doing it, right? But when you have a dream and it meets that deadline kind of crisis necessity, you do it. So here's the story. Do you remember how I started? Actually, my first studio was 98 students a week. Yeah. And I had 16 students in a recital. The recitals grow from one to two to three to four to five. Uh, this area that uh, I describe Aurora is more of the upper middle class community. A lot of people have clubs. They do their swimming in a club and golf club. And I got in good relationship with one of the golf clubs. Very fancy place. Beautiful diner. They had a Yamaha grand piano in it. And I would book some weekends for my recital. And in exchange, I would entertain their clients every Friday and Saturday with my piano playing. Mm, nice part. So that was our arrangements for years and years and years. And the rock concerts would be in a different club. And, you know, the chamber music was in a, another location. So I outsourced my networking relationship. And that's how I did it for years. But guess what happened? 2008 happened. With a real estate crisis and the entire economy tanking. Mm. And the club that I had a great relationship with came to me and said, where we looked at the books, there's a new owner. It went on auction. There's a new owner. Um, I don't know if you heard of uh, Monty Ahuja. He's bought up hospitals. Like a really amazing guy who came here with $8 and made a very huge auto business in the Cleveland area. He bought up the club. And looked at the books and sorry, no money making opportunity. You need to clear up and done. Mm. So basically, they were ready to let me go completely of this relationship. Think about the panic. Yeah. So I, did I? Did I always talk about one day we can have a concert hall? Absolutely. So in that situation, you can't just be at the concert hall in two months when your next recital is. Mm -mm. So. I had to reach <laughs> I had to reach as high as a senator and governor's level to negotiate this and re reverse this little idea of me being out of the club because one of our students was grandchildren of the former Ohio governor and senator. He's mm -hmm. fast now, he's a wonderful guy. He's the one who went up to this wealthy man who didn't like my book, his books on, on the table to say, hey, 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 let's, let's, let's not just push out my grandchildren's school. So he was like a, a, 
you know, the, the right. God's alarm, as they say, the angels, hey, hint, you need to start planning. So I started planning. Mm-hmm. And if I knew how much challenge there's going to be in there, there's no way you would do it. I mean, we had one architecture and, and bank and <clears throat> and uh, building team fall apart completely. Then a parent who's another angel came, comes to you who works, happens to work in a banking business, super high up. He puts together a new team for me and the whole thing works out. We start doing it. Then we have two floods, one flood, the, some workers almost died. The second mm. flood, someone forgot the pump, some pump on just, a, you know, basically uh, on, a, on a strip and there was no electricity. So you have soundproof walls, fully ready carpet, six inch of water. We do the whole thing. I would ne- I'm ready for construction, but you're traumatized for 10 years after. Is that, is that sweaty? But to be mm. honest with you, to have a concert, because it was also, uh, we basically redoed a ton of, basically I um, chopped off nine tenths of my building completely to the ground and rebuilt the whole thing, basement and base, most of the, mm. most of the practice rooms went into the basement and a concert hall, as you see, first floor, second floor, we got some studios in the second floor and then the first floor, right? So it's as a co- complete build out. If I didn't know you have to have an advocate for yourself because, you know, construction companies are difficult sometimes. It's, it just comes right. with a lot of headache. But I found out that the acoustic design of a hall is a total lock. Nice. So you can have all the simulators, you know, oh no, move the wall a little bit like this because none of the walls are parallel in my hall. Right. If you look at the ceiling, right. there's like, See that? Those floating ceilings are very difficult to construct and none of the walls are parallel in any instance. Mm. Do you see that? Yeah. That makes the sound bounce perfectly that it's a little bit echoey, but not too much. And Mm. so everything sounds really good here, right? So that uh, designer disappeared, literally. We we can't even find a sound design engineer. Just gone, vanished, right? (laughs) And happens to be that the hall worked out great because... Everything is in a construction hand as well. It was a literal miracle. How long? And did it why take did you? I do it? No, because sorry. why did I do it? Because a shark was behind me, chewing me up. Right. So I needed to get to the shore. Like I had that pressure of I don't have a choice. I gotta get it done. And I think a lot of times when we do Plan B and C and D. Your plan A is not as focused and not as driven. I don't give myself a B option. There's no B mm. option. It's just plan A and we just got to get it done. That's it, you know? Mm. So I'm very happy I, I was uh, dumb enough to do a concert hall. I, I think from now on, I'm just going to start calling you Captain Marvel. <laughs> 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 What's interesting... Great. Is we had we had another owner on a, a couple weeks ago, and she said something very very similar. Um, she, there mm. is no plan B. She actually said those words, and I'm I just awesome. think, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to compare or anything like that. I'm just saying that I think when I encounter people who are doing really interesting or amazing things, there is this attitude of just complete commitment, all in commitment, and. Uh, an idea that, yeah, it's this, it's this or nothing. Um, 
you, you know, you're going to. I would love to meet yeah. that lady. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nate? Um, yeah, Vera, I just, I know we're, we're, we're out of time here. So I want to highlight something and then just share a quote that I read yesterday. Um, I've been reading um, this book, Tiny Habits, which you might have bumped across by B.J. Fogg, who's the behavior, uh, sort of opened the Stanford Behavior Design Lab. Um, and he has this great quote, which is like, you, you should be very careful to overestimate your initial motivation because motivation will never get you all the way to the finish line. Um, it has to be designed in actions and your ability to do the actions. Um, and I guess my comment just listening to that concert hall story is um, it's so clear that you had a dream that as you put it, came specifically from a need and you, I'm guessing you're networking through the governor to keep your uh, country club gig had a specific deadline on it. Like, yes, but only for a specific, that was the, that was the negotiation. Yeah, we'll keep her here, but 12 months from now she needs to find a new home. So, so it's, you have this dream, you have a very clear pain point, which is, part of your dream is to expand your program and you've outgrown all of your external opportunities to do that. And then finally you have a deadline. And I feel like there's something linked here and maybe you could just do it, maybe make a comment on this. Um, There's something linked around this motivation comment, right? Your initial motivation, you got to be careful. He calls it the motivation wave. You got to be careful because that's not going to be there when you're sound engineer disappears when you're uh you know you're on your third architect when you the bank pulls your funding when a a crisis like 2008 which you have absolutely no control over uh occurs um what is it like how did you stay motivated or is motivation not really the right term you have this great dream which feels very vera to me like i get it that you have a concert hall like that actually totally aligns in how I know you, you know, that you're a performer at heart in addition to a teacher. And so that concert hall is very clearly part of your world. It feels the same in BMF. It's a, you know, we have a performance space that's part of our community room, but that feels very Nate to me. Right. Like, um, so I'm curious about dream and motivation and if that triggers any thoughts for you. Yes. I mean, actually, um, the country club, when, uh, when I turned it around, all of a sudden they wanted me forever because that, that, that's a great gig for them to have me entertain their clients forever. Right. <laughs> so right. I was more, even more motivated to get out. I think about it. I played 48 times a year on yeah, a country club great, great. on top of operating your school, <laughs> going home at 1am on Christmas Eve. I mean, you don't understand. I mean, yeah. I could close my eyes and play every song in the world. No, that's that was a huge motivator to get out of that situation. Um, I think what motivated me is that amazing vision of my students having a world-class experience that they're going to duplicate yeah. anywhere in the world. Do you understand? So, like, if you perform, it has to be an amazing piano that is reflecting on world-class stages. If you have a recording, it has to be world-class. We also have an amazing AV system, a mm-hmm. wonderful AV system that the you know 
our uh, professionals come and record on our whole hall all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then t- to be honest with you, the biggest motivator for the concert hall and the school that gives you the biggest joy is seeing the next generation, second generation coming up. That's, that's the best. They yeah. were in this hall. They did their senior recital here. We do have a program, senior recital, high school senior recital means you're running your own entire one hour show and that's you're fun. recognized with an achievement. It's a huge thing. So you sing for an hour, you play guitar for an hour, you uh, pianist for an hour, you're doing your clarinets. So I have students who did their final big senior rec- recital certificate program here, went on to different schools that finished their master's degree and they're back teaching here with me. And it's mm. just the best. So they are like, I'm their mom and their colleague and their boss at the same time. It's really cool. Mm. I love it. And we have more and more of these happening. So substitute teachers, we have a ton. We also have our rock pop pianist who's on faculty now, who's also our baby who's grown up. <laughs> that is the greatest thing. So, for to link this into the concert hall, once you have a facility that's this high standard and high quality, you will attract the second generation even more to come and back yes. and stay with you as teachers. You know, because they, they, they're going to go other places and they're not going to see a concert hall like that. Yes. The acoustics are not the, the, the atmosphere is not the same. The usage is not the same. Mm. The entire organization to it, to use the hall is not the same because all of our chamber music classes are here. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. anytime uh, it's a, uh, as I call it, our institution is classroom driven institution too, in a sense that if a teacher has an idea, I jump on it. If it makes sense. Oh, you want a percussion ensemble? That sounds great. Let's do it. Oh, you want a steel band? Oh, you're going to love it. I'm getting steel drums. Because you have a hall, the ideas flow so much better. Because mm. the utilization of a facility opens up so much opportunities. Right now, we are in the process of getting our educational license so we can put actually, instead of just scenes together from a show, we can actually get the rights for a full show. And actually, can we can start charging tickets for rock concerts because, you know, obviously for the right reasons, you can't. So uh, the, the, the ideas just flow so that the call is a an entire gut center of inspiration for your entire program and faculty. And they just, you know, want to be coming back again. It's so wonderful. I just am like reminded of that quote around... Um yeah, you're not doing anyone a favor by playing small, mm. you know. And <laughs> Vera, Williamson. yeah, 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 exactly. And Vera, you're just like your your version of going big to me is reflected in the Vera method around what you talked about earlier in the episode, onboarding those piano teachers. You literally said the first two weeks are going to be a nightmare for them. <laughs> That's because you're so passionate. And then, secondly, this concert hall. This concert hall is like at the core of you going big, not staying small. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now... 
I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.